economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gordy Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordy Institute and Wayne Andrew Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordy Professor of Economic Education and Research. We have Jacob Cottle, the undergraduate scholar. And finally, graduate assistant-elect, Austin Medlin. All right, so today we're gonna to talk about credit. <clears throat> Turns out we have a very special guest in the office, an expert in credit repair. He's been doing it for a number of years. Happens to be my brother, and we happened to do a little bit of fishing over the last few days, but that's immaterial. And so, uh, Chad, welcome to the show. I uh, thought it'd be fun to explore issues related to credit and credit repair. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I find that um, credit is very, very interesting. You know, I've been at this for 17, almost 18 years, and so I still love what I do. I think credit is like a puzzle where you kind of need to figure out you know, what the pieces are. Do we have too many pieces of this particular um, section of the uh, of the credit scoring model? Or do we need some more of that? I just find it still a challenge to help people with the credit and typically buy a house. Most people come to me when they want to buy a house. Mm. They go to the bank, the bank pulls their credit scores and they're like, okay, they're too low. So you need to go, you know, call chat, right? So that's how I have referrals in my business. So and then, I guess you can do a shameless plug here, Armor Credit, armorcredit.com or something like that. Right. So it's Armor Credit <laughs> Solutions at armorcredit.com. Um, so I'm the owner. It's a small company. But you mostly work locally. In, yeah, regionally. Uh, I mean, my office okay. is in Louisville, Kentucky. and um, But I do have, I, I mean, I work wherever um, my loan officers have leads. So I have leads in Florida and Virginia and New Jersey and Tennessee and mostly that region, let's say the Southeast region. That's that. But um, so, yeah, people come to me so that they typically want to buy a house. And that's my job to figure out how we're going to improve their scores. And so how we do that is typically help thin out, remove, update, correct some of the negative, erroneous, incorrect, invalid, unverifi unverifiable negative information on a credit report. Because as you guys could imagine, there's errors on a credit report. There's right. always errors on a credit report. So, so it's my job to help correct some of that, also help them build credit, rebuild credit, pay this down, pay this off, whatever the strategies may be to be able to help improve the scores pretty darn soon so that we can function you know, with our credit, if you want to buy a house, a car, what have you. So. And so what you do for people, they could do themselves, but you are an expert, understand all the complexities of working the system and getting it done, right? So that they, yeah. what they would spend uh, 40 hours doing, you can do in a lot more compressed time. Is sure, yeah, fair? no, absolutely. So I understand <clears throat> consumer protection laws like the FCRA, the FDCPA, which is a Fair Debt Collections Practices Act. Um, um, so to understand these laws and how they should protect consumers is a big piece of it, really. So you need to understand that. You need to understand how credit is scored for one thing, right? Because um, you can Google a lot of things on the internet and it's kind of like, oh, if I do that, maybe that'll increase my scores 23 points like it did that guy. And it might, 
or it might not. It just kind of depends, right? Because all of our reports are unique, let's say. Yeah. Okay. But um, so that's ultimately, um, you know, what I do is to be able to help improve these scores and um, so people can really function with their credit. You know, can, if they can want you buy give an example of, a, of helping somebody fix a problem? Like I remember you telling me sometimes you'll, you'll submit a letter and either the yeah, lender just, doesn't care about it. And so they let it go. And it okay. So there's, or... there's technicalities involved too, probably. So, um, you know, for sure, let's just say that there's um, a collection on somebody's credit report that they paid, but it doesn't show paid. Right. So right. and clearly that's incorrect. So we'll dispute that for them through the credit bureaus. We'll, we'll write letters for them. Although sometimes we'll work electronically for them. But um, ultimately, um, if they can't verify what they have on a credit report, it's got to get deleted. OK. And the other piece to that, if that if they don't get back, if ABC Collection Company doesn't get back to the credit bureaus who we disputed through within 30 days, it's got to get deleted, period. Hmm. It's just that's part of the law, consumer protection law. So, Well, you said something interesting over the weekend that caught my ear, and that was um, kind of the complacency of people, which I think we kind of complain about in general in various ways. Our students, right, in the classroom, you know, they're not doing their homework. They're just not even doing it, right? They could could pass the grade, but they just don't do it. And you brought up something with the people coming to buy a house. We saw a house on the corner. I mean, where do you see that in people's behavior in in the in the credit world yeah i find it fascinating when uh, i mean most everybody comes to me when um they want to buy a house so i'll talk you know to the lady let's say and um she said oh we found this great house and we're excited about it and we want to buy this house however the bank pulled the credit scores and they're too low so that's why we're talking to you right so and i'll tell them what i can do for them what i'm going to charge them how long things are going to take you know the whole nine yards and so uh, they'll say great yep i definitely want to do this we're going to get started friday right so i'll call her on friday and no answer I'll call her on monday no answer you know email or call her on tuesday no answer and finally i get her maybe next wednesday or something right and then now she says well we found out that house sold so now there's no reason to fix this credit. <laughs> and I just don't understand that, right? I mean, clearly in a real estate market, you know, a bigger and better house, uh, you know, with a better deal is pops up down the road, you know, of course, you know, right? So I, I don't really understand how people's thought process works like that, right? I mean, uh, what I've learned over the years is that people, not everybody, but certainly lots of people don't think about their credit until the day that they need it. And then Best Buy or the auto dealership or the, you know, loan officer pulls your credit report and, well, you're at 570s, you don't get the car or you don't get this, right? So, and they're like, dang, well, other people sometimes think about paying their bills on time and, you know, being careful that the doctor bills don't go into collections or, you know, you're on purpose with paying your bills and and being financially responsible with that, you know, so, um, and others, not so much. I wonder to what degree that's caused by the fact that uh, it's been made kind of easy to get by with even bad credit. And so we have lots of like laws and regulations that yeah. uh, give people access to funds, even if their credit wouldn't warrant it otherwise. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was shocked, you know, uh, when I moved to Ottawa, within a year, I was looking to buy a house. Um, and I had just come out of grad school. And so I've got my student loans and everything. And, you know, I have a decent income, but not a lot of like wealth put away because I've only been working a job for a year. 
And I was like, so, you know, is credit going to be good enough for the house and all that? And they're like, oh yeah, yours is great. And I'm like, great. Cause I've done the month calculations. If it was, if this was a hundred dollars more a month, like I, I don't think I'd be able to do it. And they're like, no, you're way better than most people for their houses. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and like, that kind of scares me uh, as like someone involved <laughs> yeah. in this banking system that like my, what I would consider my borderline ability to pay for the house that I have uh, was considered like above and beyond. Uh, it, it kind of makes me concerned about what uh, what is acceptable uh, in the market nowadays in terms of credit. Well, you know, so when you go buy a house, they call it a three-legged stool, your income, your debt to income and your credit, right? right. So they look at yours and they trust you. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so if your debt to income ratios are at, who knows, whatever, 40%, 45%, you have student loans and things, you yeah. might have a little car loan or something, whatever it may be, they look at your income and they just want to make sure you're not going to default on this house, right? right. So- but they look at you with with um, your education level sure. and, you know, different things. And they'll say, OK, yes. Right. And they send it through this. They call it DU. It's desktop underwriting where it's just an automatic approval or not mm. running through uh, whatever bank they have available, which yeah. most mortgage companies will have. They'll be signed up with six or seven or eight lenders. Right. So they'll run it through. And it's just an it's an electronic approval. It's mm. not some guy behind a desk going. Oh yeah, we should give this guy a home loan. You know, sometimes there's stuff like that. Yeah, you know, but... I actually worked as a, a commercial uh, loan specialist, and so oh. I was the guy behind the desk for commercial loans, <laughs> oh, uh, right. much, much bigger than uh, mortgage loans. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, even and even our system. I mean, I was the guy behind the desk, but I was it was basically automated in the sense that I was calculating a few ratios, comparing them to what sure. was acceptable or not, and then just automatically approving or rejecting based on that. Uh-huh. Uh, not a whole lot of discretion, even with what little discretion there was. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I had a commercial banker once say, Russ, this is what we call a character loan. <laughs> <laughs> so the five C's of credit, I don't even know if I can blow them off off the top of my head, but one of the C's is character. One of them is not credit score, by the way, interestingly enough, but uh, by all stretches, we were stretching to build this bed and breakfast uh, commercial property. And he said, this is a character loan because they had done a lot of business with us. And well, and actually, the trust factor was there kind of like I say. And that's really exactly what your credit is. It's your character. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a your, reflection. The probability yeah. of you paying back this money. Right. So, yeah. you know, they knew who you were. And that's kind of the old school way of, of providing credit is with yeah, your community right? banks. Right. Now, yeah. Not so much. I right. Say. Yeah. yeah. So when you said this living in the moment concept, um, that is something we see with people in poverty or poor or in poor countries where, you know, it's basically you get a dollar in and you spend it or you give it or whatever, you know, it's kind of turn and burn. And I kind of that living in the moment mentality is usually with the poor. My question to you is, do you see that with high income people too? I mean, I know you've told me a couple stories of, I don't know if they were related to that of yeah. uh, failing to make plan these longer term plans that that goes across income or is it mostly people yeah, that I, are I don't struggling? Think, I don't think, ones? no, I don't think it's just people that are struggling. I think it's, it's kind of character, you know, and what, what, um, yeah, how you're kind of built or if you care about things and maybe, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've enrolled, um, you know, people that don't have a lot of money. I've also enrolled professional athletes, uh, many, many attorneys, many, many financial people, uh, cardiologists, you know, I, whenever I enroll somebody, <clears throat> I have them send me um, verifications of address and social security so I can work through the credit bureaus and think, well, this cardiologist sent me his W-2, right? Which was $500,000. <laughs> 
So I know this guy makes a half a million dollars, at least at this one location that he works at, right? So, but he called me to help with his credit. He had a few issues going on with some lates that showed up or something, right? So, but anyway, so I don't, I don't really know if uh, bad credit, let's say, discriminates across certain sects of, of uh, you know, the the population. I don't, I don't think it does. I've run into just all kinds. That it's not a poor people problem. No, but but I will say that, um, you know, some people are more educated than others, you know, their upbringing and things. And so what I like to do is try and provide a little bit of education in, in regards to how exactly credit is scored so they can just continue to grow and protect the scores sure. even after we're done working for them. I and that's the least I can do for them, right? So, yeah. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for take a little break. Um, when we come back, I'm kind of curious on uh, faith and credit uh, from from Chad's perspective, if it uh, do Christians behave better with their credit or worse, or is it about the same? Or uh, people with uh, no faith seem to have struggles. Uh, so you know, does Jesus help your credit score in some way, shape, or form? We'll be back in just a bit. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. This spring, we have an awesome uh, PPE league going on where it's philosophy, politics, and economics being discussed among various colleges and universities around the nation. This is all going to come to fruition with a national championship in Kansas City, our first ever. We hope that you'll like to support events like this, and we can keep young minds being sharp and ready for today's world. All right, so uh, we're back, and should Jesus take the wheel in terms of uh, the credit, or, or does he take the wheel, or however we want to phrase that? But anyway, I just thought, behavior-wise, do you observe anything? And obviously, you don't know their religion with all your clients, but if you have a, I'm sure from your church, maybe you get some referrals or other things, and uh, do you feel like there's anything there with uh, faith or no faith, and whether they're better, res more responsive at correcting their score or dealing with it? Um, I don't know if, if let's say Christians um, are better payer backers than other. <laughs> real, I don't have uh, that opinion, honestly. I, I don't get into that with people so much, but I will say this. They put faith in me <laughs> because why their credit scores are so low. They thought they were doing good and now they're like, okay, but they really want a home for their family right? They got the kids, they want a, a decent yard, they want a nice area and a safe area for their family to grow up in. And sometimes, I mean, I've worked with people that they're 50 something years old, they've never purchased a home. And it's just because they never thought they could. So maybe um, somewhere down the line, they, they kind of thought maybe uh, it was never going to be for me. I'm just never going to own a home. And I look up their credit and, you know, certainly we need to fix a few things, but we need to get on the right track so that um, you can live the life that you want to being a homeowner because it is pretty great, you know, to be renting and things all your life is not that exciting to me, you know, so. Um, <clears throat> so you find that sense of homeownership is a, a pretty, the biggest driving force of fixing credit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's where most of my leads come from. And, yeah. you know, people will send me selfies of them at their new house. Thanks so much for helping. You know, mm -hmm. we got there without you. There's some people will be crying and different things when they know that they have an approval. Like it's a big deal, you know, because ultimately some folks, they just, 
the upbringing that they had, it, it's just, it's not um, helping them with education and how to keep their credit decent and so that they can purchase a house and they just think that it's not for them yeah. know, at some point. I so. had a question for you based on this. We're moving a little away from credit and then into investment in general, but one thing a lot of economists would say, which I'm not sure I agree with, there's maybe something to it, but not it's not something I totally agree with, uh, is that Americans tend to be over-invested in real estate. And so the mm -hmm. argument is that less people should own houses than do uh, because you're, you know, the goal of healthy investing is diversifying. And we've got this culture that the economists say, well, it's really weird that we have this culture where uh, you put basically at least half of your wealth uh, for most people into their house and they don't invest into like anything else at all. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, like that emotional connection though you're talking about uh, has something to do with that? And do you think it's maybe a, a good thing to some extent? No, I think it's, I think, I think your home is an investment that you get to live in. Yeah. Right. Cause you gotta, you gotta pay rent somewhere. Right. <laughs> so it Mel's will be for you. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I think it's uh, I think it's really smart to buy your own home that way because we all kind of know real estate as long as you buy it right and even if you probably don't buy it right you know your real estate is gonna uh, increase in value right so and even without you doing anything you can mow the yard and paint a few walls and you're gonna increase your value of your home which yeah. is pretty exciting for a lot of people and I think there's a certain dignity pride of ownership that goes along with that. I mean, I like to fix things. Some people I know don't, but you still get to choose the paint color, even if you hire a painter to come, right? right. And there's a little bit of creativity and making it your own, like you say, that you can't do yeah. typically with, with most rental properties. So Yeah. And maybe it's to some extent, I mean, people aren't going to go out and take big $100,000, $200,000 loans and buy stocks with them, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Nor should they. Well, uh, I don't well, know. If that's it. Depends on how long you're holding it for. Uh, <laughs> Thirty years, you're probably in a good spot. But uh, those sorts of loans aren't even available. And I think maybe part of the reason is that um, people are more likely to pay back for something like their house, right? It's you're more inspired to work for your house than you are for your Apple. Sometimes gets tough. yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that has something to do with it too. Yeah. So yeah, from a risk management standpoint. Yeah. 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 For the record, I wouldn't recommend most people. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to buy stocks, even though that would probably be good for some people's financial yeah. bottom line eventually. But your point is well taken. That I think that you know instead of maxing out the size of house, what if you cut that in half, right. that payment's cut in half. So you just saved 300 on your payment. Maybe that 300 should be going into growth stock mutual funds for long-term investing. Yeah. And I, I do think there's maybe a little bit of an over, over obsession about the space in a house and like how big a house should be, you know, uh, first home does not have to have three bedrooms if you're two people, right? Like there's just not a, a good reason for that. If you can, uh, if you can't afford it. Yeah. And so there's nothing wrong with starting out with a small house you know, getting that right. mortgage paid down and then using that equity to move into a bigger house eventually. So actually the banker that told me it was a character loan, he still lived in his first house at, and I know he was doing well, but in a, like a Rambler starter home yeah. and he had a family of three kids and he's like, I'm debt free. And he, he just wanted to live that way and, yeah. and put his money elsewhere, presumably. Yeah. We, we so. have three kids, uh, big, yeah. kind of two bedrooms. The girl's bedroom is just <laughs> actually the upstairs, like partially finished attic. And so, uh, you know, yeah. um, I mean, it, it's totally finished where they're at. It's separated. Uh, well, why? So it's a, it counts as a bedroom or whatever, but still two bedrooms, three kids. You can make it work. So. Right. So Chad, what's the deal with these internet scores? Um, are those uh, accurate or reflecting? Like, it seems like every credit card company says, we keep just look on our app and you got right. your credit score. 
Well, that's a that's a great topic. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of different scores, right? And so people are like, I, I need to know my scores. And mm-hmm. they look at Credit Carmen, they look at Credit Sesame, and they have a little app through their Capital One card or yeah. their U.S. Bank, you know, uh, account or something. And it'll tell you, like I have a Discover card, right? And it tells me every, on my statement, it'll say, you know, what my credit score is, right? So, um, so which ones are accurate, right? And the answer is none of them, <laughs> none of them really, because uh, in, there was always one score and that's the FICO score, which you've heard of, right? Which stands for Fair Isaac Company, which was started back in like the 1950s, okay? So banks, mortgage companies, auto dealerships, credit unions, they all pulled FICO scores, right? You go there, you want a car loan, you want a loan for your boat, a car, they pulled a FICO score, right? So then probably about 20 years ago, um, <clears throat> The government forced these three big bureaus, which is Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, to provide access to people's credit scores, because really everything that we do is geared around what our credit scores look mm-hmm. like, right? So, well, they didn't want to do that, okay, because they wanted to keep everything proprietary with the banks and the mortgage companies, the dealerships, because mm-hmm. whenever you go apply for a auto deal, uh, an automobile loan or a mortgage, that dealership or that mortgage company pays for a credit report, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and they can range in prices, but let's just say it costs $30, okay? For a tri-merge credit report, which is three scores, by the way, three bureaus. So that's when they pull a credit report is when Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion get paid. All right, they all make, let's say five to $7. Is, is that an average of the three scores? What's that? The FICO, like, do they take the three reporting agencies and average? No, the so they, they have different scoring <laughs> models and mechanisms inside of, um, FICO. Okay. So TransUnion will have a different score, Experian and Equifax, which is really frustrating for people. They're like, well, how come it's not just exactly the same? Right. However, here's why, because not all the information on your credit report reports to all three credit bureaus equally each month. Oh. Okay. I mean, there's some companies that report every 90 days. There's some companies that have, um, you don't see it, but they might be reporting your credit card balance at 93% this month. And then Equifax over here is showing that it's been paid down to 43%. And, but you can't see all of that. You sure. see what I'm saying? So there's some hidden um, type information, right? Um, and so a lot of people have Credit Karma scores or Credit Karma app, okay? Um, but because that's probably the most popular and they advertise everywhere, right? So people know what it is. So, and it's pretty cool. It's free. It's easy. It shows you Equifax and TransUnion. It does not show you um, Experian, but Experian has their own app, which you can get. Okay. So now the Experian app has a FICO score, but it's a different version of a FICO score that your banker would pull. Okay. (laughs) So like I said before, nowhere on the internet, you can find real scores, right? So uh, even if you go to myfico.com, Right. So they have about five or six different uh, FICO scores that they provide in there. You pay $30 a month. And this one says this is a they have an automobile FICO score. They have a consumer FICO score. They have um, consumer meaning like a retail FICO score. If you go to Macy's and want their little credit card or Home Depot, they'll look at the data that you have on your credit report on how well you paid back your Mm -hmm. other consumer cards. So there's different types of scores. There'll be one in there that says, this is the one closest to your mortgage score. Well, why don't they just provide it, right? Because they could, because that's my FICO, but um, they don't. Um, The ones on Credit Karma are Vantage 3.0 scores. So it's kind of apples and oranges. They're designed to be higher. And here's what they do. Um, So 
remember 20 years ago, they didn't want to even provide scores for people, but they did it anyways. They had to, they were forced to. Mm -hmm. So what they did is just create a whole nother score, which is a Vantage 3.0 score. There was something called a plus score about 10 years ago that I don't think anybody uses anymore. But so these Vantage 3.0 scores are designed to be higher than what your normal score is. Okay. So the credit score scale runs all the way up to 950 points rather than 850 points. So right there, you're designed to be inflated. Okay. Okay. There's different criteria um, that plays into a credit score, right? About um, what kind of um, balance to limit ratios you have with your credit cards, which is revolving accounts. You know, what type of accounts do you have? How well do you pay them back? Meaning, um, have you ever been late on your car loan? Have you ever been, and was the late last month or was the late three years ago. That's a huge difference, clearly, right? So um, so they'll look at all this data and figure it out. But the Credit Karma scores, the Vantage 3.0 scores, the Credit Sesame scores, all of these ones that you might see on TV or the internet, they're, I call them FACO scores. They're, it's fake news. FACO scores. So, <laughs> FICO versus FACO, right? So, um, are, they in, like, in, are they higher in a way that's consistent? Like uh, the, 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 the scientist in me thinks, well, if it's 40 points higher, okay, I think 40 off. It's funny you brought up 40 because I think 40. Okay. okay. That's what I tell you. That's your gut feeling. However, okay. I've seen 100, 120 point swing. Okay. So it's not both, super consistent. Both ways. Yeah. Both ways. Okay. So it can be inflated. It's usually inflated. Generally up. But I've seen it the other way too. Okay. Right. Yeah, so, which is really frustrating for people, right? Because they yeah. think, um, here's what happens, by the way. So their credit karma scores show. 640 right and so they're like great let's go buy a house honey right and so for for an fha loan right now i mean you gotta probably have a 620 credit score okay that's like the going rate okay so that's the first time house fire yeah basically program that's easy to get into there's maybe down payment assistance involved so um uh, so they'll go to the bank the mortgage company they'll pull the credit and they'll pull them at a 576 okay and they're like credit karma said my stuff was at a 640 you know and then these bankers have to tell them what's going on with these scores so you know it's uh so it's a little unfair but that's but here's what happened right so the people got a 640 credit karma score but then they go to the bank have them pull their credit because they made an application Mm -hmm. and what just happened equifax experian and transunion all just got paid because they applied and it hurts the credit of the person right uh okay so that you're talking about like um, a slight like in, in, a credit inquiry yeah right which is, in my opinion is worth maybe three four five points yeah but it doesn't affect you till 45 days from now at least fico scoring right? oh um but that's not something to get too wound up about uh, in my opinion you know? yeah so, well i i don't mean that consumers should get too wound up about it. it's just that but they do if they wouldn't if they wouldn't have thought their scores a lot higher they might not have you know pulled oh, in the first sure, place right yeah. and so there's kind of that like mode where you know it it's encouraged them to do something they wouldn't have otherwise done yeah right if they thought um oh, if they knew their real score or they didn't know their score they might say oh my credit's not gonna be good i'm not gonna you're right they sit on the sidelines and Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of credit karma's incentive to buy us high, like to give a feel good about yourself. Yeah, maybe lower consumer complaints about credit. Yeah, that's just, they're all in bed because they're just trying to they're just trying to sell their product of the score. Sure, but you'd think if if they're really duping us all the time with it being high, then as a consumer, we'd eventually catch on and we say, "Screw this! I'm not even going to use this score." And so it might be a bad long term strategy if they're indeed doing it intentionally. Yeah, I think it's probably like le- legislation uh, that yeah. they're like they want voters to be happy, so that way <clears throat> people aren't lobbying for more regulations, forcing them to give the actual score, mm. for example. 
Sure. And so if, you know, people like see their little credit score and they think, oh, my credit's good. So I'm happy with credit right now. That's a nice thing. Right. right. Uh, even Less though maybe complaint. it's not. Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of that, that is kind of an interesting. Uh, I think you're probably right there. You know, um, there's people, you know, these these bureaus, I mean, they got a lot of money. Right. So they're they're in bed with a lot of, you know, companies, I suppose. And, yeah, you know, credit cards wanted they're all over the place, you know. So these these, um, you know, other other. Um, let's say vendors of credit card companies or something are on their website. So they, they do this where they'll tell you, Oh, you paid down, you made a payment on your car note. You, you want know? that instant satisfaction. And then it says your credit went up. Just jumped three, 12 points, points or it went down yeah. 32 points. Which to some extent could be and, good too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You know, if you see that your scores drop 82 <laughs> points and you go look on there and you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't make my payment to Kohl's. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. That's, so it's credit monitoring is what it is, right? So okay, so first you... remember, Credit Karma is completely independent of the three bigs. Yes, and so they're just, but they're forced by government to at least give them some information to generate what they're generating. Credit Karma, right? Right. Okay. So you got the three big, the whole big business, big government cronyism. I mean, sure. this is ripe for it, right? Yeah. You got the three. And they got to be somewhat in cahoots with each other or know what they're doing. I mean, we have a classic oligopoly, right? Yeah. With credit reporting agency, we've got three companies that control the market. Yeah. Complete control, really. Yeah. Somewhat government sanctioned probably at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it must be. Uh, otherwise, you would have like significant. Yeah. There'd be other comp competitors. Coming like in. Yeah. 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 Huh. So what's the biggest component of credit scores? Like, is it? The volume paid, like how much did you pay back or how much did you not pay back? Or is it the amount of transactions you didn't pay back? Like, I'm, I'm pretty curious, like if it's, is it better to borrow more if it can be paid off or would that actually hurt you? Okay, so let me talk a little bit about what plays into credit scoring. So you'll probably be surprised about what the biggest um, chunk is. Okay, so I'll save that for a minute. But, you know, clearly you want to pay your bills on time, right? So that's 20% of your credit score which is a pretty good chunk. Okay. So another chunk is um, how well you've built back credit after you've had adverse activity. So maybe, you, hmm. you know, you went late on something or so then now we need to rebuild credit and build it back. So that's 10% of your score. Okay. And 20% of your score, or excuse me, 15% of your score has to do with um, the different types of credit that you have out there. So you have a mortgage, you have an auto loan, you have a camper loan, you have uh, a credit card, right? You have a student loan, okay? So so there's a variety of different types of money. A that diversified you're... portfolio. Sure, yeah. yeah. And so that tells a certain amount of data, right? To these companies that provide credit scores, like, okay, so he's responsible with a student loan, that's fine, but is he responsible with his credit cards? Mm -hmm. And now part of credit scoring is 30% of Credit scoring has to do with what we're doing with revolving accounts. So Home Depot, Kohl's, your Discover card, you know, it revolving. What makes it revolving is not only can you pay it down each month, but you can add to it each month. So it revolves, right? So that's 30% of your credit score, which is really almost a third of your credit score ha has to do with if you have a card and what your balance to limit ratios are. So if you have a thousand dollar limit, they want you to stay under 30%, right? So if you keep it under, under three, so if you keep it under 300 bucks, great, right? And it shouldn't negatively impact you whatsoever. But of course, it all depends on when that lender pulls your credit report. Sure. Okay. So uh, that you can, might get caught with a high balance. So you just bought materials to build something mm. on your house or something. So now you're maxed out on your card, but, but you pay it off all the time, but mm. you got caught with it or something. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so it kind of depends on some of that. So that's uh, anytime I see one of my clients that 
comes to me and they don't have a credit credit card, that's always something that we suggest is that you you want a little secure credit card from your bank. Maybe you give them 200 bucks to, you know, to get a secure credit card, which they just hang on to your money for a little while and use it. You buy a tank of gas on it once a month and pay it off. That's all you got to do. And that's what I tell them to do. And that'll start building their credit. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. What do you think has caused this information asymmetry between the credit companies and the actual individual with the credit score to the point to where we have to Agreed. go to these questions yeah. and have these conversations about what is our credit score? Yeah, I don't think they want people to be educated, you know, about some of this. Uh, the credit bureaus make money when people apply for credit, right? So, <clears throat> you know, when you go shopping for a car and you, you've heard that some of these dealerships will farm out your your social security number and check out your, you know, what, um, what the loan rate is going to be across five or six or seven or eight different, you know, banks. Right. Um, but every time that they do that, right. And farm that out, there's potential of applications. There's potential of these credit bureaus making money. So I just think that they want to keep it behind the veil, all the information, like they've put out information about how a credit, credit report is scored and things, um, or a credit score is scored, but they don't really want to tell you everything. You Not know? the exact. Point. I just think that it's part of their business model is <clears throat> if you really want to know your score, you got to go to a bank or a mortgage company and have them pull it, you know, so. In all other industries that eventually fails unless there's government protection in some way, shape or form. So I think you're right. I mean, there, there would have been competitors that could offer it at a cheaper deal, but you've got these big reporting agencies that have been in bed with the biggest corporations, for a long General time. Motors, you know, whatever, for a long time, Visa, of course, MasterCard, blah, blah, blah. And so they're very entrenched and there has to, that would still, our, our, our economic analysis would still have say, some competitors are gonna step forward with a better, bigger, better model there's got to be uh, that uh, cronyism has got to run thick. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And like uh, one other, you know, consideration is like people like to have information. And so if you poke at them about this, they'll probably be upset that when they realize they can't access their own credit score very easily. But in their daily life, actually, this doesn't matter too much. It's actually not something a lot of consumers like are really strongly demanding consistently. Sure. Like you said, when someone goes for a loan, it's, yeah, you know, then it's a big deal. Yeah. But in your everyday life, like I actually don't really like the little credit tracker. Yeah, like, sometimes it'll drop. I'll be like, why did it drop? And then it makes me a little right. mad. It's like, but I know it's not. I I was kind of aware that it's not real, not to the extent that you, you mentioned. And even if it was like one point, what's the difference? Right. Uh, but I prefer just not have it there. And but, so I think like to some yeah. extent, like, it's not really a product I demand that much. True. Out. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I feel like they're just placating us with this funny number. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. what do they do? They they have the real number, and then they just put a random stochastic error term on it. Yeah. And it's but, up here. But, it's down here. But I do agree, Russ, that uh, like some of this has to be. I mean, the whole financial system is pretty heavily yeah, regulated in the is. banking system, yeah. uh, and that's but, a big part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there, there's a uh, you know very little chance that this is that this would look the same. Uh, without like intense regulations. Yeah. Um, and if consumers really did demand transparency on credit scores, uh, I think there would be uh, free competition were yeah. allowed. So, they could probably hide behind, a, oh, we're protecting identity. You know, we got big problems with identity yeah, theft yeah. and consumer things. And so it's good to just have these three bigs that, yeah. that do it and the government, oh yeah, we'll regulate them. We'll watch them, make sure, 
your information's protected. It's sure. it's that racket. Which is funny like. because if you remember, like maybe five years ago or so, Equifax breached two. Yeah, 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 that's right. They, I forgot about that, but they did have yeah. a big breach, and that's common too that we yeah. see. I never yeah. got my check for that. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, Chad, thank you for coming on the show here and educating us on some credit. Yeah, you're welcome. It's right. a pleasure. Thank you. Well, this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find us. Otherwise, uh, be sure to forward this podcast and any others on to your friends that uh, might like some of the topics that we discuss. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.